and welcome to episode 23 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing a lot of playoff baseball from the Atlanta Braves as they grab a 2-1 series lead against the Milwaukee Brewers, and um, we will wrap up the back end of the show with some Falcons talk and a little bit of college football talk as well. But um, this episode is mainly going to be about the Braves uh, reviewing the first three games of the series and previewing uh, games four and possibly a game five in Milwaukee. So we'll just go ahead and dive right into it now. Uh, dive into game one that was in Milwaukee. Uh, the pitching matchup was a really nice one between Corbin Burns and Charlie Morton, and it lived up to the hype because both of these guys were awesome in the game. Really, no mistakes from either of them, except for one bad pitch from Charlie Morton really was the difference in the game. Uh, we'll get into it now. In the top of the first inning, things started off really, really well for the Braves. Um, they got back-to-back walks on, I think, 16 combined pitches from Jorge Soler and Freddie Freeman. And the last the, the last pitch of the Freddie Freeman about, which was ball four, went off of the glove of the Brewers catcher, Omar Narvaez, and went all the way to the backstop. So Soler was able to make it all the way to third as he was running on the play. So you have runners on first and third with nobody out to start the playoffs, which is honestly an ideal scenario. And you have Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley coming up. So you're expecting to get one, if not two, maybe three runs in this scenario because, A, you have runners on first and third, obviously, and, B, Burns has not looked sharp. And for those of you who don't who, who don't know about Corbin Burns and not familiar he is probably going to win the NL Cy Young this year. Um, probably been the best pitcher in baseball, in my opinion. Um, for the full season, he has been awesome, and he doesn't walk people. So that was really like a a sign of, um, wow, this guy is off his game today because he leads the league in strikeout-to-walk ratio as well. And him starting off a game with two walks is um, really good on Soler and Freeman. Credit to them because they put together really good at-bats. Like I said, it was 16 combined pitches in the first two at-bats. But really just um, out of the ordinary for Burns. So we'll get into the obvious at-bat, which I think might be the biggest play of the game in a bad way for the Braves. Uh, maybe probably second, actually, because we'll get into the real biggest play of the game later. But Albies takes a ball and is um, up 1-0 in the count. So I think at, at this point, Ozzy should be taking all the way until Burns throws him a strike because this point in the game, he's walked you guys and he's thrown a ball to you. So I'm not going to sit here and, you know, tell Ozzy Hobby's professional baseball player what to do. But I think, in my opinion, that Ozzy shouldn't have swung at a pitch until he saw a strike from Burns and made Burns prove they can throw him a strike. But the very next pitch, Burns throws a, a good, Burns has a really nasty cutter. And he threw him an inside cutter, and Ozzy swung at it. But it was, it was definitely a ball, definitely off the play, and Ozzy should have been taking. Um, credit to Burns, though. I'm not going to really get on Ozzy too much about this because Burns' cutter is probably the best cutter in baseball this year. Really good cutter, so cut inside, and Ozzy swung at it, and he hit it right to Rowdy Telez, the first baseman. And Telez steps on first and fires to home and throws out Soler at the plate. And... The probably the worst possible scenario of that what could happen right there. Um, between Burns just letting Burns off the hook completely and the double play, and so like Ozzy swinging at that pitch when he shouldn't have, and Soler probably shouldn't have been running on contact there either. 
just kind of a disastrous scenario for the Braves in the top of the first. And it, you could tell, you could just like feel from as soon as that happening that it really, it was, it was one that hurt. And you just knew that that was going to loom large over the rest of this game, which um, it, it definitely did. So now you're in a scenario, runner on second, two away, and then Burns just strikes out Riley, I think on like three or four pitches, and he's completely off the hook. Only had to throw like 20 pitches in the first inning after throwing 16 to the first two batters and walking them. Just completely left one of the best pitchers in the league off the hook, and you can't do that at all. Just really a disastrous first inning for the Braves after it started off very promising. So they get no runs out of that, and they wouldn't get runs for a very long time, and neither team would actually because the other starting pitcher for the Braves, Charlie Morton, was awesome through five innings in this game. Um, he had nine strikeouts through five innings, had had, had a bit of a shaky, um, or rather six innings, sorry. He had a really strong six innings. He had six shutout innings with nine strikeouts heading into the seventh and the Braves decided to roll with him for the seventh, which is something I didn't hate, but I do understand the, how do I say this? I do understand the negative response that this got from some people because the Brewers were on their third trip through the order. And, um, you know, this pretty much goes for every pitcher in the league. Every pitcher gets worse through the third time in the order, and Charlie's no different. And he actually, like, he actually didn't really help himself here in my opinion so he goes through six shutout innings the game is tied at zero to zero because there's really not much honestly there's not much not much action after the first inning because it was just kind of burns and morton dominating so we're just going to skip ahead to the seventh here top of the, or bottom of the seventh zero to zero game and morton is up oh two on the leadoff man which is avisel garcia he throws an inside fastball that almost hits garcia on oh two and then on one two he throws one again, and this one does skim him on his wrist. So I don't know why Charlie's not throwing a curveball in um, in one of those two pitches. I I understand like a high end fastball on O two, it's kind of a waste pitch. Maybe he'll make a dumb swing at it, but Charlie's got the best curveball in the league, and the fact he didn't throw that on either of those two pitches is pretty rough in my opinion, and probably should have, and it kind of cost him because he obviously gave up a base runner to Garcia. So Garcia gets hit, and the next batter is Rowdy Telez, who is a lefty, and you know this is third time through the order again. So maybe after the hit by pitch, it's time to go get I don't know get AJ Mentor, get Tyler Matzik, get a lefty in here to face Telez, but they don't. They roll with Morton, which you know I, I'm kind of split on. I get both sides of it, but I still at the time I don't hate it. And I think it was worth noting that in the sixth inning, Morton did have a scoreless inning, but he did walk a guy, and he didn't look quite as sharp in the sixth, but um, he still got out of it unscathed. So that's why, that's really why they kept him in for the seventh because he was still pitching a shutout. And then Telez comes up, like I said, and Morton gets ahead of him, one, two. So, you know, you've been ahead of both of these guys. You know, you've made mistakes with the first one by hitting him, and you're up one, two again, and he throws another fastball. And um, this one... Not completely middle-middle, but um, definitely caught a bunch of the plate and on the inside part of the plate for Telez, which is, I believe, is his uh, mash zone. And he does exactly that. He hits a bomb off of Charlie, pretty much dead right center, just an absolute moonshot, and it's 2 to nothing on a 1-2 fastball when he hasn't thrown the curveball to wipe out either of those guys. 
So I just don't understand the pitch selection there, but that is the biggest moment from the game. Teles hit the homer, and Morton's gone after that. So, yeah, just pretty pretty rough sequence for Morton there, and that was really his only bad sequence of the entire game. Um, so you can't really fault him that. This loss is not on Charlie Morton, even though he did get credited for the loss, which is I'm not even going to talk about that stat. But, um, yeah, this is not on him. It's on the bats, really, which... You know they were going against Corbin Burns in a good in a good bullpen, but Morton to get with the two runs, um, and it was a big topic of conversation after the game is should have should have should Snicker have taken Morton out after six, should he have taken him out after he hit Garcia, um, you know some people were fine with leaving him in. I personally didn't hate leaving him in, but I do understand why you would take him out after six. I probably personally would have taken him out after he hit Garcia. That would have been my line in the sand. I would probably have brought in Matzik to face Telez. And, um, yeah, I believe Matzik came in. No, it was actually Luke Jackson that came in after he gave up the homer. But one of those guys, probably Matzik in that situation, gets Telez since he is the lefty. But um, still still a fine choice bringing in Jackson after that. Um, him and Matzik go two scoreless innings after this. And the Braves actually do get a run in the very next inning on a Jock Peterson solo pinch hit homer off of Adrian Hauser, which uh, we'll get more into those that that combination of batter pitcher later on. But Jock did cut the lead down to 2-1 in the eighth. Um, and then we'll move on to the top of the ninth now, where the Braves did put together a bit of a rally against Josh Hader, who probably is the best closer in baseball. <laughs> so the Brewers have a lot of good pitchers. Um, like I said in the preview of this series, their pitching is elite, especially... Um, Josh Hader, their closer. And uh, the Braves, like I said, they did put a bit of a rally together against Hader. Uh, they started off the inning with a Freddie Freeman walk. So Freddie walks to lead off the inning, and then um, Ozzy's rough game continues by striking out, swinging uh, against Hader. And this is right-handed Ozzy, so going into this inning, you felt pretty good about him, but he swung through what I thought was a bit of a meatball, kind of a mistake over the plate by Hader, but he just completely whiffed on it. Then he struck out on like a high fastball out of the zone, and that was it for Rossi in this game. Then Austin Riley comes up and he hits a base hit to to left field, and it's runners on first and second with one out all of a sudden. That brings up Adam Duvall, who hits a kind of a swinging bunt right in front of the plate, and a pretty good play by Narvaez, the Brewers catcher, by going to second, throwing out throwing out Freddie. So they get that. Um, um, they get Freddie at second on the swing and bunt. There's two outs, and now there's runners on first and third, and Eddie Rosario is due up. But a bit of a curious decision from Snicker. I think this is the most curious de decision that he made in this game, not the more one. I think this is way more way, – I think this is a bit more uh, egregious, I'd say. He brings in Orlando Arcia to pinch hit for Eddie Rosario, which – I understand the process there of going for a righty against Hader. Eddie Rosario does have a platoon split, and he is a lefty, even though he has been better against lefties this year. I get it that you want to go to a righty there, but Orlando Garcia had a 567 OPS this year, a 49 OPS plus. Um, with Atlanta, he had a 63 OPS plus, so not much better. I just don't get going to Garcia here when you have every option besides Jock on the table. I know I know Brian Snicker's not going to use a backup catcher to pinch it, but you do have Contreras who I think might be my top choice in this situation if you're going to pinch it, which I would I expected him to leave Rosario in to hit for himself. 
honestly. But um, he didn't. He brings in Arcia, and Arcia actually doesn't have a terrible at bat. Um, he he gets easy few pitches, fouls some pitches off, and he hits a pretty hard ground ball right to Colton Wong, that ended up ending the game, but just kind of hit her in the wrong spot. So he didn't humiliate himself or anything, just get blown away by Hader. He put up a pretty solid at bat. But I would have probably gone to Contreras or Heredia there if you are even going to pinch hit. I personally might just left Rosario in. Um, but if you were going to pinch hit and get a righty in there, I know it would have never been Contreras, so I'm just not going to talk about that really. I would just brought in Heredia because if you do bring in Heredia and he does tie the game, or if you do bring in Arcia rather and he does tie the game, you're taking Arcia out for Heredia. And Heredia is a better hitter than Arcia. And Heredia is not awesome or anything, but he's like solid-ish and much better than Arcia has been. Um, so that was definitely a curious move. Pretty weird. They do they do some more weird stuff with Arcia in game two. It kind of just it, it seems like he's just um, been upgraded to number one right-handed bench bat, which he didn't get a plate appearance in game three. They did bring in um, Adrianza to hit. So yeah, I, I don't know what they're gonna do, what they're doing with Arcia, and how things will pan out in Game Four. Um, but yeah, that's that's about it from Game One. We will move on to Game Two now. Um, after the pretty heartbreaking Game One, um, with uh, the Teles Homer trying to bounce back with Max Freed on the bump, and he was absolutely awesome in this game. Um, Let's go over his stat line before we get into like all the action first. Freed goes six shutouts with just three hits, no walks, and nine punchouts, which is an awesome starting pitching performance from him. There's even some discussion as if Freed should stay in for the seventh inning of this one because he was, he was only at 81 pitches, I believe. But um, we'll get into that a little bit later when we get deeper into the game. But I agree with what Snit did. Spoiler alert for this one. But, um, yeah, we'll move on to the first scoring play of the game, and it was a Freddie Freeman single after a Jorge Soler double that made it 1-0. to nothing. And then you had kind of a weird play on the very next batter. Ozzy Albies hit a double that hit the yellow of the top of the wall and stayed in the park, which he hits this ball like two more inches. It's gone. It's going to bounce off the top of the wall and go into the Braves' bullpen. But it hits the very top. And it bounces back. Garcia throws it in. Um, and Ozzy has a double. Freddie actually does score in the play. And he probably shouldn't have. It was a really aggressive sin by Ron Washington. He also had an aggressive sin to bring home Solaire the previous play. But this one was even more aggressive. As I think they actually caught the Brewers' defense a bit off guard by doing it. How aggressive it was. Because when Garcia throws the ball into Colton Wong. Colton just kind of turns around and like doesn't really gear up for a throw because he's just assuming Freddie is not coming home. And I don't even think like Adamas and the other infielders, I don't even think they thought Freddie was coming home because they didn't like tell Wong, like, home, 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 four, four, four. I don't even think they told him that because Wong just kind of turns around like a bit nonchalant, like he's not going to throw it, just probably going to throw it back to the pitcher or something. And Freddie's coming home, and Freddie is toast if Wong comes around firing. And he was almost toast anyway with Wong just kind of lackadaisically turning around. Um, and Freddie was safe. Um, the ball ended up being dropped by Narvaez at home. Or Pena, was it Pena? Narvaez or Pena, whoever was catching at the time for the Brewers. They've been mix, match, mix and matching their catchers all series. But yeah, Freddie scores ends up working out. Just a bit of aggressive sim by Wash, which, you know, if it works out, it works out. But it would have been definitely an eyebrow raiser if Freddie was thrown out there. 
Um, so we'll move on to the next and final scoring play of the entire game. The top of the six, Austin Riley hits a a pretty long home run. Um, doesn't seem like it off the bat because he kind of gets out in front of a pitch, but he absolutely smokes this ball in the right center. Um, just an absolute bomb from Riley, and that made it three to nothing. And that would be all the scoring in this game because the Braves shut down the Brewers. Uh, no runs scored, six hits. Like I said, Max Free went six shutout. And um, there was a bit of discussion of, as if, of if Spreed should have stayed in the game and pitched the seventh, which uh, he didn't. Um, and I think this is a bit reactionary of what happened the day before with Morton, leaving him in for the seventh and what happened. It's a bit different bit different because the Braves had a 3 to nothing lead in this one, and it wasn't a tie ball game of 0-0. But they do elect to go to Luke Jackson, who doesn't actually finish the ending. He goes... He gets the first two routes relatively easily. Then he gives up a walk and a hit, and he gets pulled for Matzik. And then Matzik comes in. He puts out the fire and pitches the eighth. He gets into a little trouble of his own. Um, he also got absolutely robbed of a strike three call um, for the final out of the inning. But very next pitch, he throws another. There's a slider on the outside corner, which should have been strike three in the inning. But the very next pitch, there was another one, and he gets a swing on this one. Struck him out, ending over. And then Will Smith in the ninth inning had a bit of a Will Smith performance. Gave up a leadoff walk to Christian Yelich, then a base hit right after. But then he gets three outs on two pitches as Lorenzo Kane flies out to right. And then a double play ball to Austin Riley to end the game. So gives up the walk and the hit and the Brewers really let him off the hook right here by making three outs on two pitches. And that would be the game. It goes free, Jackson, Matzik, Smith. Familiar formula for the Braves. And they take game two, three to nothing. And we will now move on to game three on Monday, which this is why I'm recording this game or this podcast on a Tuesday because I was actually at game three, which uh, started at one o'clock on a Monday afternoon. So yeah, I had a kind of, had a, kind of a busy morning yesterday, so I wasn't able to record um, before this game because I was getting ready to go to it and things of that nature. But I was in attendance for this one, and it was it was a fun game overall, even though there were some maddening moments in this one, especially early on. And I think I might just hop into that off the bat. Um, it was Freddie Peralta versus Ian Anderson. Uh, no big surprises there for the pitching matchups for the two, two teams. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and skip the first inning, because it was one, two, threes on both sides. Um... And actually, no, Anderson to give up a hit in the first inning, but he did get out of it. Um, so it was two scoreless first inning, and then Ian um, bounce, uh, in the top of the second gets a 1-2-3 inning. And we'll move on to the bottom of the second, where probably the biggest boneheaded decision of the season was made by a base runner. Um, we'll get into what made it happen first. Austin Riley kind of had a light, like a slow hit ground ball single um, in the hole. And an infield hit kind of got lucky on that one, but hit it around the shift kind of, and Colton Wong didn't have a throw on it. And then Adam Duvall, remember that name in just a second, had a line drive into left for a base hit. And then Eddie Rosario came up and hit a fly ball to the warning track, almost a home run. He got it, he just missed it. He went to the warning track. Riley tags to third, and Duvall holds up at first on this play. And we'll move on to Travis Darno's of that. So you got. Runners on first and third with one out. Travis Darno at the plate, and he hits a pretty pretty long fly ball to left, just shy of the track. Christian Yelich catches it, 
and Austin Riley tags up, boom, bang, one nothing Braves. No. It is not one nothing Braves because for reasons beyond me, Adam Duvall decides to tag from first to second on the play. And Yelich goes straight to straight to second, and Adam Duvall is out by a mile. And he is out before Riley touches home, negating the run, and pretty much like giving the Brewers a run. And essentially is what Duvall did. He pretty much did a solo home run for the Brewers right there. Um I watching this watching it live and in person I thought that Riley might have got in before Duvall was out but he didn't and it was really close actually when you look at like the the TV replay of behind home plate like Riley was just a split second behind Duvall getting tagged out it was pretty brutal watching that angle of it but um I know what Duvall's trying to do here like it there is like um a like you can see the purpose of doing this, trying to get into scoring position um, with Dansby up, but that is not even close to being worth the risk of giving up that run. And also, probably the worst part of the play is Duvall just trying to go in for the slide, which he, he has a terrible slide. He doesn't even come close to touching the base. I'm looking at it right now. And he is out by a mile. doesn't even touch first or second base. But in that situation, when you, you see the ball coming from left field, it's not like the ball is hit from right and it's behind his back. He sees Yelich gearing up to throw, and he should know that he is toast. And you have to get in a rundown right there. You absolutely have to get into a rundown and make sure that run scores. Um, still not an ideal scenario, just giving them a free out, but at least the run still scores. No. He, has, he makes an awful slide trying to avoid the tag from Wong, which even if he does avoid it, he would just slid right past second and not touched it anyway, just a, Absolutely terrible base running. Probably the worst base running I've seen all year. And it makes the play last year's, then last year's NLCS from Ozuna and Dansby and Riley. Um, you'll know what I'm talking about if you were watching those games, those plays. It makes those seem just like fairly normal and fairly smart. Um, this, I was hot in the seat watching this. It was, I was upset for, till the fifth inning. And we'll get to the fifth inning in a minute, but I was hot at Adam Duvall. Um, I, and it, it was just, it was, it was a really, really rough play. That's all I'll say. It was probably the worst base running play of the season. Probably maybe the worst play of the season for the Braves in the moment. Um, it, yeah, it, it was really bad. It made, it made the play in game one where Ozzy hits the double play and Soler got thrown at home. It made that one look just like so tame and so mild and so minuscule. It, it, it was really bad. You absolutely can't do that. I'm still kind of dumbfounded and at a loss for words of why he would even do that. And I don't know if Eric Young sent him or he went on his own. I don't know. And I don't really care. It, it, either way, if it was Eric Young, then that's really bad on Eric Young. If it was Duvall going by himself, I think that's kind of worse. That was really bad. And I can't really... I could talk about it all day just how stupid it was because of how mad I was about it. Because I was... I was honestly like furious about it because I just kind of like in the moment when these things happen in Braves playoff games, I just assume the worst and that the Braves are going to lose this game by a run and that's going to be the difference. So I don't know if you can really blame me for that, but I was hot in my seat about it. Um, but yeah, we'll move on from that now. <laughs> so yeah, Adam Duvall is in in the corner right now for me up, in, up, up until later in the game. So move on. Uh, top of the third, one, two, three inning for Ian. Um, which is pretty big, you know, 
uh, especially coming right after the disaster for him to just kind of calm everything down to get a one two three inning. That was really nice by him. Um, bottom of the third, nothing doing for the Braves. Dansby got unlucky. He had like a 107-mile-an-hour liner to Colton Wong. Um, Soleil did walk, but that was all they had in the third. In the fourth inning, um, Ian gives up a single to Yelich, but nothing else as he gets out of the, gets out of the inning with the two more strikeouts. Bottom of the fourth, um, Duvall does get to hit again and a chance to redeem himself, and he almost hits a home run. Um, he hit one deep in the right center, right in front of the Braves' bullpen. And Lorenzo Cain actually almost made, like, one of the best plays of the year. As he, on the run, had the ball in his glove and then slammed into the chain-link fence in front of the Braves' bullpen. And, like, he was going, like, full speed. And Lorenzo, Lorenzo Cain's a fast guy, so I can imagine just the momentum that he had going into the fence. And that collision... Could not have felt good, and it didn't because he was hurt for a while. But he hits the fence and then hits the ground pretty hard after, and the ball just goes flying out of his glove, negating the catch. And Duvall goes all the way to third, and he has a two-out triple. And Kane was on the ground for quite a minute, probably like a five-minute um, injury delay. Um, I thought for sure he was going to come out of the game because he absolutely smoked the wall. Like he, like the wall, like like kind of bent in on itself, not permanently, but like he made the wall like kind of just like flop. He hit it so hard, but he stayed in the game. Um, props to Lorenzo Cain. He's he's awesome in center field, and he almost made one of the best catches of the year. But the fact that he stayed in this game was really impressive, honestly. Because I thought he was, with the way he was on the ground, like like kind of writhing in pain, I was like, man, he might just like separate his shoulder or something. He could be done for the, the series. But no, credit to him. He stayed in the game. Um, nothing comes of the two-out triple. Uh, Rosario strikes out next to bat, so Duvall... Still on the hot seat because he didn't redeem himself with a run there. And we'll move on to the top of the fifth. And this fifth inning, top and bottom, was the most important inning of the whole series probably because the Braves had a huge inning. Um, Pitching-wise, defensively, and offensively, this was a huge inning. So we'll start off with the full sequence of the inning. Ian leads off the inning kind of similar to how um, Morton led off his bad inning in game one with a hit by pitch of Luis Arias, which just skimmed his knuckles, really. And then, immediately after, Omar Narvaez doubles to left. Um, Rosario's able to hold Urias at third. So, second and third, nobody out. And the Braves bring the infield in after the mound visit. And I think it was the first pitch, Lorenzo Kane. He hits a rocket on the ground to Dansby. Not even to Dansby. Dansby has to dive to his left to make the play. Looks back to runner to third and fires to Freeman. Makes a perfect throw. One of the one of a couple of awesome plays by Dansby in this game that saved a run. So now we got runners on second and third still with one out. Now Vogelbach comes in, and I think it's worth mentioning that I probably at the in the moment I think I said they should have brought in AJ Minter because um, Vogelbach is he has absolutely ridiculous left right splits. He is pretty much like a a pitcher hitting against lefties. And against the righties, he's um, a well above average hitter. But they leave in Ian. Uh, they do have another round visit for Ian. and the Which I don't completely agree with that process, but I don't completely hate it either. Still in the fifth inning. And Ian has been pitching relatively well, but it is playoffs. And at the time, it was 0-0. Zero to zero. But still, it worked out because Vogelbach hit a chopper to third. And the Brewers kind of get like <laughs> give the Braves... A blunder of their own on the bases because Rios just takes off kind of inexplicably on contact on a ball hit to third baseman 
and Riley throws it to home. And then there's a mini rundown where but Darnold threw it back to Riley and Riley tagged him out, looked to run it back to second. So pretty much best case scenario for the Braves there. Um, runner gets thrown out at third and the runner from second doesn't advance there. So now it's first and third, nobody out or two outs now rather. And it's Colton Wong, which I would have probably, and I said it again after Vogelbach. I'll say it again after I said they should have done for Vogelbach. I probably would have brought a mentor here again against the lefty Colton Wong. And it works out again, <laughs> but he hit an absolute rocket just right at Freddie Freeman to end the inning. Um, so I feel like if if they do get a run there on the Vogelbach or Wong at bats, it kind of does look a bit rough on Snit because he had mentor warming up in the pen. But it all worked out, and that was Ian's final inning. So Ian goes five shutout innings, and he gets out of a huge jam of second and third and nobody out. And now we'll move on to the bottom of the fifth, which was probably the most eventful half inning in the whole series. Uh, starts off with a Travis Darno single to right field, and Dansby follows it up with a single of his own to right field. And that brings up the pitcher spot, which... I said before the inning that if there was nobody on, it was two outs, like don't use Jock here because there's just really no reason to. But they do get back-to-back -back singles, so they use Jock, which I which I agree with. And Jock, it, was, it really just awesome because there's just a kind of a buzz in the crowd when he came up. He's got a new walk-up song, Way Too Sexy by Drake. It was just really fitting. He's got the pearls on. It was just kind of perfect. And I was in, in the back of my head, I was like, is he going to hit a home run right here? He's already hit one earlier off of Adrian Hauser in game one. But in my head, I was just like, is is he going to hit a home run right here? And I was like, ah, oh, no, nah, there's no way. Maybe like a base hit. Maybe a base hit. one nothing. No. He absolutely hits a rocket into the chop house. And Truist Park erupts. It was an awesome moment. Just, um, just a huge buzz in the stadium right when he came out to bat. Everybody was going crazy for him. Jock has quickly became a... A fan favorite, you know, between, you know, his pearls and, um, you know, he's got, he's had some big hits for the Braves too. And I think a thing that really was a big part of him <laughs> becoming a fan favorite was his, um, his interviews after the Braves clinched the division, which were um, pretty hilarious. But yeah, he comes up and he hits a home run, three run shot, pinch hit homer, second pinch hit homer of the series, which actually ties an MLB record for pinch hit homers in the postseason. And it's only the DS, and he's only the second guy ever to do it in a series. Um, the other was, I, forget, I can't forget, remember the guy's name, but it was like in the 1975 World Series, and that's a seven-game set. And if the Braves move on, Jackson have plenty of more um, pinch hit appearances, or maybe he'll be starting, I don't know. But Jock hits a homer, probably um, top, top moment of the season maybe so far. Maybe there's more to come, but yeah, just an awesome, awesome moment for Jock. He really... Pimps it out, banging on his chest up and um, up and down the first baseline. You know, just an awesome moment. And um, I I wasn't I was at the game, so I didn't get to see this live. But Ronald Acuna was in the dugout, and I don't I'm not I'm this is kind of dumb, but I saw the thing on Twitter that um, right before Jock hit it, that they panned the camera to Ronald in the dugout, and then they panned back to Jock and he hit a homer. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence, but just kidding. But pretty cool moment that Ronald was in the dugout to see that. Good to see him around with the team in the playoffs. So yeah, that that was the fifth inning. Um, Braves don't get nothing else out of the inning. Um, I think it is worth noting that they left Hauser in, and he got Solaire um, to ground out the very first pitch after the Jock homer. Then Freddie walks, 
And Ozzy and Riley both hit pretty solid fly balls off of him. So the, I think they kind of dodged a bullet because the Braves were really squaring him up because, you know, they three straight hits lead off the inning. Soler hit a pretty hard grounder. Freddie walked and then like two well-hit flyouts. Milwaukee was kind of lucky that it was only three to nothing because the Braves, the Braves, um, Hauser wasn't fooling any of the Braves in that inning. Let's just say that. So we went on top of the sixth. Uh, Jesse Chavez comes in the pitch and Jesse Chavez continues to just be awesome. Um, one, two, three inning, got a strikeout of Christian Yelich too. So Chavez was perfectly fine. Um, bottom of the six, nothing doing for the Braves in that one. Rosario had a single, but that's it. Um, top of the seventh, they go to Tyler Matzik, and he gets into a bit of trouble. Um, gives up a leadoff double to Ed Eduardo Escobar, um, who was pinch hitting. And probably should have been caught by Rosario, but he broke in on the ball really early and had just no chance and kind of got burned on it after he tried to break back and make the play. Um, then he gets a ground out of Urias, and then a Pena fly out, and Kane strikes out um, Sween. So, didn't come back to bite him to lead off double. And um, the Brewers just continue to not be able to hit with my his quarter position. Uh, bottom of the seventh, nothing doing. Adrianza gets to pinch hit. Um, he, he flies out, Solaire strikes out, and Freddie grounds out. And then top of the fifth, Luke Jackson gets to a bit of trouble, gives up a leadoff walk to Jace Peterson, and then he gets Colton Wong to fly out, but then Willie Adamas has a single, so it's second and third, or sec, first and second, one out, Christian Yelich up, and here comes Dansby's second, just absolute web gem of the game, really. Um, Yelich hits the first pitch pretty hard. I think um, Luke kind of hung a slider right here to Yelich and kind of got away with it, but he had a right to dance me in the shift. Dansby takes it himself to second and jumps over the sliding Adamas and just makes a perfect throw to throw out Yelich. Probably the second loudest eruption of the game besides um, Jock's homer. Just a huge play. Another great play from Dansby, which um, which was just, yeah, just a huge play. And by the yeah, actually, correction, Jace Peterson was at third. So it was first and third, not first and second, rather. So, yeah, that saved another run. So Dansby saved two runs with his defense in this game. So a huge game defensively for Dansby. And he scored a run because he did get on in front of Jock when he had the homer. So Dansby really had a great game. Um, the Braves did have a threat in the bottom of the eighth. Ozzy had a leadoff double, but um, they couldn't do anything with it. Riley struck out swinging. Ozzy did get to third on a wild pitch, but Duvall grounded to third, so he couldn't score. Then they walk Rosario to get to Darno, and Darno flies out. So they weren't able to cash in on the um, Ozzy double to lead off the inning, which kind of which kind of sucked because Will Smith was coming in, and you would have loved to get make it four, just give a little more of a cushion. But um, Will Smith had a one two three inning. Um, he did give up a rocket to Avisel Garcia. I think it was like a 920 expected batting average on that ball, but Riley made a nice jumping play to get the first out. Um, then he strikes out Escobar, and then Darius has a lazy flyout, and the game's over. So a pretty harmless ninth inning from Will Smith, and the Braves win back-to-back -back games 3 to nothing, and have a 2-1 series lead heading into uh, Tuesday's Game 4, which could be a clincher for the Braves. Um, and it was uh, just announced right... Okay, so I just, a little bit of breaking news here on the podcast now, like actual breaking news. But um, what I just the Braves just released the starting lineup for the game, and Jock Peterson is in the starting lineup. Uh, they did not take they did not replace him with Adam Duvall, which I agree with. 
Um, I know Duvall's kind of had a rough series, but um, you got you get you have to have Duvall in center field. They value his defense way too much to take him out. They they are benching Eddie Rosario for him, which Rosario's been kind of good in the series, so he is going to be a pinch hit option. But yeah, you kind of can't not have Jock in the lineup with the way he's swinging it. So a little bit of breaking news there: Jock's batting sixth and playing left field tonight, which I I agree with. So. Uh, another piece of news that came out right before I was recording, re- started recording was the pitching matchups for today. Um, Eric Lauer is starting for the Brewers, which Craig Council said in his postgame yesterday that Corbin Burns is not available for Game 4, which I think is a bit curious because this is a winner-go-home game for the Brewers. And I wouldn't put it past Craig Council to be up to some funny business in this one because he has he has notoriously done just weird stuff in the playoffs. Um, in 2018, I believe, when they were playing the Dodgers, he had, I think it was Wade Miley. I think he had Wade Miley face one batter, and then he brought in Adrian Hauser in the first inning to just kind of play like mind games with the Dodgers. He says that Burns is unavailable. Don't be shocked if Corbin Burns comes out of the bullpen in this game. Lauer is starting, but like, don't be surprised if we see Burns warming up in the third inning and he comes in. Just saying, because Craig Council does, he is with the funny business. He's a good manager. So I think that might have been, like, it, it was kind of weird that he just kind of went out there and said, no burns. Like, I don't think what you would really give away that um, just off the bat. So I feel like he might be up to something, which he has done in the past. So keep that in mind. Uh, the Braves announced that it is Charlie Morton going on three days rest, short rest for Morton in game four. Um, I imagine that he's going to have a pretty short leash and a pretty um, hard cap on his pitch count, too. Because he is an older guy, but um, the Braves obviously feel comfortable pitching him a short rest. But I would probably just project like a three three inning start for Morton, and then probably hand it off to maybe Enoa. Um, I'm, I'm uh, I can almost guarantee that AJ Minter is going to be in this game. Jesse Chavez, maybe Drew Smiley. You know, Braves got options. They really they've really rolled out the they've don't they've only used four relievers in this whole series, and one of them was Jesse Chavez, who had a seven pitch inning, and that's the only time he's pitched. Um, they've used Will Smith in games two and three, and they've used Luke Jackson and Tyler Matzik in all three games. <laughs> um, so Matzik has has pitched the most out of the two. He's pitched 64 pitches in the first three games. So he might not be available, but he definitely could be too. I don't know how they're going to handle that because they did have the off day, but still three games in four days and 64 pitches is still a lot. So that's something to look out for, how they're going to use Matzik. I think Jackson was only like 40-something pitches, so I think he's probably available, and I think Will Smith is definitely available. So, yeah, definitely going to be kind of like a bit of a bullpen-ish game. Um, you know, Morton, maybe Morton could, like, surprise us and get five if he's being pretty economical with his pitches and if he's just shoving again. Um, that's the only way I can see him getting five if he's like through five innings on like 60 and then they yank him. I think, I think like 60 is probably like a little high of an estimate, but I think that's probably his cap. Um, 60, 65, maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they feel about more on short rest. So maybe they might just let him eat. I don't know. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, game four is tonight, Tuesday at 515. And, uh, the matchup is set Eric Lauer and Charlie Morton. So, Braves have a chance to clinch their spot in the CS tonight. So it is um, it is going to be a good one, I think. I'm glad Jock is in the lineup. Sucks that Eddie kind of got the boot, but you just can't take out Duvall. You really can't. 
because you can't Lee can't let Jock play center. And Jock can play like in a pinch if you had to have him play center, he can. But Duvall is just such a better option in center field. And I know Duvall. I mean, like yesterday, I know yesterday, like everybody was so mad at, mad at him, me included. But he has to play center. He just has to. Um, he's their best option besides like Heredia. But you want Duvall in because of the bat over Heredia, obviously. So um yeah. That'll be, I think that'll um, wrap up the Braves talk. Um, hopefully they can clinch it tonight. I do not want to go back to Milwaukee for a game five, and then there'll be probably Burns or Woodruff. Depends on how they use Burns tonight. So hopefully that is a mute point. We don't have to worry about that. Hopefully they can take care of business here in game four. So yeah. That'll do it with the Braves talk. Um, we will now move on to a little bit of Atlanta Falcons talk. And the Falcons were actually over the pond this past weekend. Um, they were in London and Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium facing off against the New York Jets. And they did win the game. They have finished the clean New York sweep this season. Their only two wins are against the New York Giants and the New York Jets. But yep. From Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I was up for this one, and um, I was really hoping that it was worth it. And I think it was, because it was a pretty pretty interesting game. Um, coming into it, the two big newsworthy things were that Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley did not make the trip. Um, Ridley is hurt, or not Ridley, Gage is hurt with an ankle injury. And um, Ridley was out for family matters or personal issues, something, something like that. Personal stuff he was out for. No idea what that was, um, but hopefully everything's good with Calvin and his um, personal matters. But yeah, definitely left a big, big gaping hole in the re- in the receiving room heading to London, because coming into the game, like the you know Kyle Pitts is obviously probably like the main target, but of the actual wide receivers, it's like Tajay Sharp and Alameda Zacchaeus and Christian Blake, which they did fine. Um, and Zacchaeus did have a, a, a couple drops, I think, in this one which wasn't great, but he had some big plays on third down. Um, anyway, um, Falcons won 27-20. They did get off to a 17-0 lead and let the Jets creep back into this one, but they did hang on. Um, I thought Matt Ryan was excellent in this game, 33-45, uh, for 45, 342 passing yards and two touchdowns. Um, once again, we'll go ahead and get Cordero Patterson's performance out of the way. He was good, again, um, in the run game, really solid, I think. Uh, 14 carries for 54 yards, long of 12. Nothing crazy, but I think he was definitely like effective. And I think Mike Davis was pretty effective too today running the ball. Uh, 13 carries, 53 yards, 4.1 yards a carry. He had a 17-yard run. He also had a touchdown. He did fumble the ball too, though. Um, but, yeah, that's that's that pretty all right day running the ball. They broke 100 yards, 108. So that's, that's, that's always good. Um, move on to the receiving and the main target today, and which makes me so happy, and he had his breakout game finally, was Kyle Pitts. He was awesome on Sunday. He had 10 targets. He caught nine of them, um, 119 yards, and he got his first NFL touchdown, which I thought was great. I thought he was awesome in this game. He had a 39-yard catch, which I believe was also like a one-hander. Like he kind of snagged it in because Matt kind of, had the ball a bit in front of him, but Pitts made a really nice catch, a one-hander uh, to haul it in. He was incredible in this game. Um, and then, you know, if you mention Cordell Patterson's rushing, got to mention his receiving, and he he was really good in the receiving game again today. He had nine targets, and he caught seven of them. Um, only 60 yards, but still, he was really effective once again in this game. 
and was if you have Cordero Patterson in fantasy, he just keeps on producing for you. So good for you if you have him. I don't. Um, uh, Tajay Sharp, I thought was pretty good actually. Um, four catches, fifty-three yards on five targets. Um, he he um, had he had like good chunk plays. I think I think he filled in pretty nicely and was able to fill the void. Um, and really, it was Pitts that really filled in the void of not having Ridley engage. But Tajay Sharp filled in nicely. I thought and Hayden Hurst got in on the action too. He did have a really costly fumble, but it didn't end up biting the Falcons because it didn't win the game. But he had a touchdown catch of his own. He caught four passes, forty yards. And uh, Lee Smith too. The Titans were the tight end. The, the Titans. The tight ends were all over the place for the Falcons today. Where they combined for what is that? Sixteen catches and what is that? Like a two hundred or uh, hundred and eighty nine yards, like and two touchdowns. Really good performance from the tight ends as a group. And then I already mentioned Zacchaeus briefly. He had a couple of drops, but he had a huge third down conversion late in the game that he caught. It was like a third and thirteen, I think. And he made the catch like right at the line to get. So big catch by him. He had two catches for 20 yards, but a really big one. Um, and Christian Blake had two catches for 12 yards, four targets. So Matt Ryan was really spreading the ball out in this one. Kind of had to without Ridley. But Pitts was the main guy. Really happy for Pitts. He really went off. Like he was all over the place. Caught nine of his ten targets. I, I thought he looked awesome. Um, and the, the Falcons defense in this one, touch on it briefly. They did have a 17-0 lead in this game, like I mentioned earlier. It was 17-0 in the second quarter. It was 20-3 at halftime. Um, the The Jets did have like a big return on the opening kick of, of the second half. They did end up scoring a touchdown on that. And uh, they missed the extra point, though, so it was 20-9, which kind of cost them. Uh, things did get kind of scary, though, in the fourth quarter. Michael Carter had a two-yard touchdown run. And they got the two-point conversion, which made it a 20-17 to game. But then Falcons responded with a three-yard touchdown to make it 27-17. The Jets kick a field goal to make it 27-20 with 17 seconds left. They go for the outside kick, and the Falcons recover it. They do what they're supposed to. And um, they, it was actually a pretty rough onside kick, pretty bad. I think it went right to Zacchaeus, actually, and Zacchaeus just got him fell on it. And the Falcons win 27-20. Uh, they have a bye week next week, obviously, because they were in London. Uh, they're two and three on the year now, um, and yeah, they got the Dolphins two weeks from now. And the Dolphins aren't great, so chance to get the five hundred for the Falcons. So hopefully they can get there. And uh, well, I'll breeze through college football. Um, Georgia won again. They beat Auburn. They're number one team in the country now because Alabama lost, which I don't love. Um, yeah, Georgia's really good, and it just kind of sucks for me as a Georgia Tech fan, because it's just undeniable. They're really good. Auburn did kind of hang with them a little bit in the first half, but 34-10 to 10 still, and Auburn like just kind of dominated them. Um, and my Jackets, they won a doozy against the Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> um, not a really well-played game by them, but they did win. So I will give them credit where credit is due. They did get the W against the Dukies. Um, so... Not a complete disaster. If you do lose this game, it is kind of like a the sky is falling type of thing. But um, they did win. They went 31-27. to Kind of a come-from-behind win. Um, a late touchdown um, from Jeff Sims, who I thought had a pretty rough game. But he had a late touchdown um, to... Um, hold on a second. There we go. All right. Well, ESPN's website was uh, messing up for a second there. But um, to, to Sanders, Ad Adonicus, Adonicus Sanders... 
Um, a 36 yard kind of back foot throw, really a dime. And that was the game winning play with uh, 51 seconds left. And they were down 27 24 when that play happened. So a huge play to kind of salvage that win in, uh, in Durham. So yeah, that, that it was a win. I'll say that a win's a win's a win. Georgia Tech is also on a bye. So next week, I have a football-free weekend, which I guess will also mean a stress-free weekend for me. So it's a bittersweet, no football, but also no stress. So, yeah, that'll um, that'll wrap up the episode, I think. Yeah, that'll do it. So, yeah, um, I'll see you guys next week. It'll be on Monday next week. If you made it this far listening, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, if you could, give me like a download or follow, whatever you can do to support. It's all appreciated. I appreciate all the support I can get, and I appreciate if you listen to this point in the episode as well. And I will see you in the next one.